0: Man, we could just keep doing that all day long. You ever get tired just hearing those stories, seeing those lives? What a culmination to our month of consecration. We've been spending the whole month of August talking about what it means to say a wholehearted, hold nothing back, give up the rest posture of surrender to King Jesus. Like, we've been saying that all month long. Here's a couple images from last Sunday. So those of you who weren't around for the whole month, here's what we did last Sunday. Ted, can you put the picture up? of. So we ended the service last week, and we had a big cross setting up here, and hundreds of people came and laid down envelopes that we called our consecrate envelopes. Inside those envelopes represented our wholehearted yes, our hold nothing back. The place of complete surrender is a whole bunch of stuff. Or some place of cleansing, some stuff we needed washed away. It was just our kind of stake in the ground, place of consecration. And we laid him here at the cross because we said Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of it all. Sort of the whole thing. And for 10 people to stand before us today and to head into those waters that we get to be eyewitnesses, that's such a picture. Like, that's what people consecrated to Jesus do. If you're not regularly around the church, or maybe you used to be in your younger years and you've, whatever reason, stepped away from it, like, this is a big deal for the community of Jesus. Like, what we're doing today, we think is worthy of not only a massive celebration in here, like, we're going to spill this thing out for a couple of hours outside and have a great big party. Why? Because we think what we're witnessing here is worthy of a complete celebration. Like, the church of Jesus knows how to party. I'm just saying it, right? We know how to party. We got reason to party, amen? Way more reason than the ways of the world have. This is the stuff that's going to matter 100 years from now, all right? You might have been hooked up to some other parties going on this week. I promise you this party is the one that's going to matter 100 plus years from now. And so I'm so glad that you're here, whether you've been around church or this is your, you're here to support some folks who were in the tank. I hope you hear and see today that Jesus is worthy of the whole of our lives. He's worthy of it all. Those of you who have been around here a while, you may remember the story I told, I don't know, a couple years ago or so. I was standing back at those doorways back there, and it was just before the service began. And this was right as we were coming out of COVID, and so we were just beginning to regather in some things. We had a lot of new faces, we had people, you weren't even sure part who's a part of the body, and so you were just meeting a lot of new people. I was standing out there just before service. It was communion Sunday. We, remember when we had the communion tables like right in the entryways, you grabbed your elements on the way in, you guys remember those days? Well, this couple walks in, and I hadn't met them before. They walked up to me and said, "Are you one of the pastors here?" I said, "Yes, I'm one of the pastors here." So we have a couple of questions. This is our first time here. Can we ask you before we would, you know, be a part of the service? I said, "Sure." And here's what he's question. He says, "Well, we've been visiting a lot of churches in the area, and we've noticed like the churches we went to, like it was, it was like Jesus was a big deal." He said, "He said people were singing about Jesus, talking about Jesus, praying to Jesus. It was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus." And he had a really big, thick Bible, like one of those, I call them like double stuff Oreo Bibles, you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Like really thick, lots of highlighters, lots of stuff going on with that Bible, okay? He had that, he looked like he had spent some time in it, and he opened up his Bible at this point, and he said, said, Pastor, what I want to know from you and from this church is, I'm looking for a place that talks about God more generally and Jesus less specifically. He said, so I want to ask you, very straightforward. Is Jesus a big deal around here? Well, we had communion. Like I said, the communion table is maybe seven or eight feet from us. I said, please come with me. And so I walked in. The service is just getting ready to start. We're standing right back there at the tables. And I said, I appreciate your question. And I'm actually glad to hear what you found in the churches that you visited. Because to answer your question as straightforward as I know how, is Jesus a big deal around here? I said, this table, this broken body, the juice representing his shed blood, he's the only deal around here. He's not just a big deal. Like, he's it. Like, he's the way, the truth, and the life. The only explanation for Eagle Church is Jesus of Nazareth, that we are his people bought with his blood. He's our redeemer. He's our rescuer. He's our restorer. He's our deliverer. It's all about King Jesus. So, you are welcome to stay and be a part of the service, but I just want to be clear that what we're going to be doing is not talking about God generally. We're going to be talking about consecrating our hearts to Jesus specifically. And the the worship team had just started the opening song, and I think the opening song was all (laughs) centered on Jesus. It was perfect, you know? And so I left them to chat at the communion table because I had to get going here, and so I left them, and I remember turning, and I glanced back. And I remember seeing their silhouettes walking out the doors. I hope they landed somewhere. I hope they found somewhere where they could see the centrality of Jesus. The only explanation for the church is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. That's it. So if you're, in case you're newer here and you're wondering, like, is Jesus a big deal around? He's the only deal. The only explanation for this body of people, the only explanation for these waters, lives, testimonies, the only explanation is King Jesus. So we believe as a community, he's worth a wholehearted yes, a give up the rest, go the last 10%, hold nothing back. We believe he and he alone is worthy of that of our lives. And so what I want to talk about today for a few minutes is the cascading effect of that wholehearted statement or step of consecration. I want to look at three realities that come. They're not the only, but there are three really core ones that come. Once you decide you're going to say a wholehearted yes, or as a church family, maybe we can look at it as, what kind of ripples out of the act of laying the consecration envelope at the cross last week or rippling out from these waters of baptism? I want you to see three things. From Jesus today. And if you have a note sheet, you can pull that out. Those of you joining online, welcome from wherever you're watching, especially those friends and family joining from all around the country to support those in the waters. Your online host will direct you to your notes. It will be helpful for you to follow along. Here's the three things we're going to see from a wholehearted yes to Jesus. We're going to see Jesus put you in touch with reality. Number two, Jesus teaches you how to live in a broken world. And number three, Jesus invites you to experience the kingdom of God. So first one, Jesus puts you in touch with reality. Matthew chapter 7, 24 to 27. He's wrapping up one of the most famous teachings called the Sermon on the Mount. In his closing illustration, he says the following. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash." So, Jesus says here, he's at the end of this most famous teaching, he says, let me boil it down to you, that there's a way you can go about life where you can actually listen to his words and put them into practice. If you'll put Jesus' words into practice, begin to live them out in your everyday life, you can test this for yourself. You will find that it aligns with reality. It aligns with the way things actually are. It's like Building house on the rock, its foundation is secure. Reality will be your guide and point to this. Jesus is the best and the wisest. He's right. That's what it's going to point to. Like when you step in to follow Jesus and you begin to live out his ways, not just listen. Notice the text says there were two groups. One both listened. One put him into practice. You begin to actually live out what Jesus said. You pay attention to what he did, and you put that into place in your life, and what you find is, you, have, you find yourself saying, this is how it's supposed to be. You find yourself saying, well, the way Jesus explains the world, the way he explains the human condition, the way he explains the realities of the spiritual battle, it just makes sense. It aligns with reality. It's built on a rock. It's what you can be certain of. That's what reality, reality is what you can count on. And Jesus says, "Follow me, put my words into practice, and you'll see that you're ushered into this place of saying you're just right. You're not just right about like all the big theological issues. Usually people are fine giving Jesus credit for like big big theological topics. Like he's definitely the one you want to talk to about sin, salvation, heaven and hell. Talk to Jesus. But you know Jesus is not just right about those big things. He's right about everything. He's right about everything. There's no better person to lead you how to live in this world today than Jesus of Nazareth. Like parenting, marriage, money, work, family life, relational drama. Jesus is right about everything. He's the wisest and the best. This is how Dallas Wellard put it. He said, follow Jesus, and if you can find a better way than him, he would be the first to tell you to take it. You see, culturally, we're not struggling with a lack of information. We're the most culturally informed generation to ever live, right now. There's more information available to us today than ever, than any human on the planet's ever experienced. We're not struggling with a lack of information, we're struggling with meaning and purpose. And so you see, science and data and research, they can tell you what is, but they cannot tell you what you ought to do. And is cannot tell you an ought. You tracking with me? Like science, data, research, it can tell you, it can tell you like what is here, but it cannot inform about what you ought to do. Your ought is derived. Your ought and your ought not, it comes from your moral basis. And as Christians, our moral basis is the person of Jesus and the scriptures. This guides our ought and our ought not. When we're unclear about how to navigate, we turn here and we look to Him. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I think it'd be really important for you to sort through, like, have you really thought through, like, what's your basis for the moral ideals and values that you hold? Like, what do you appeal to that kind of guides your ought and your ought not? And the question you ask, is it sufficient and is it coherent? Now, if you say, well, you just decide for yourself, which is a fairly popular right, the you do you, and you're just going to ask everyone else to kind of bend reality to you. I want you to think that through a little bit. Like you do you, you're just going to decide for yourself, like you're going to be the basis for your moral law. Like it's going to go as far as you, what you decide. What are you going to do when you run across others who collide with your ought? Like your ought, have you noticed, isn't going to line up with everyone else's oughts. Do you think we might be struggling with that as a nation a little bit? Have you noticed that there's not a collective alignment and unity around a lot of topics? Anybody notice this? If you're in leadership in any role, I promise you you live with this, right? So as a country, what are we gonna do? What are you going to do when your ought and your ought not runs against the grain of others? What are you gonna appeal to? Vladimir Putin has an ought and an ought not. And I'm guessing there are certain ways where you say, well, that runs again. I don't want him to, no, you do, we don't want him to do you. We want him to actually bend into another reality. What are you going to appeal to? I think if you're honest, if you run the tape out, if you run the tape out on this, like self is gonna be the center of your moral code, I think you're gonna find it insufficient to uphold the complexities of this human experience in this world we're living. It's not gonna be complete. It's not gonna be sufficient. To flesh out what needs to be done. Because if you're honest, run the tape out on you do you. Run it out. What does reality teach you? The you do you movement. Here's what reality is teaching us. In the language of Jesus in Matthew 7, it's like building your house on sand. It sounds good, looks good on the outside, and it's going to fall with a great crash. It doesn't align with the way things actually are. That's the challenge. And that's why we're struggling culture with so much imploding around us because we're appealing to a moral center that is not sufficient and coherent to sustain the decisions that really need to be faced in life. Or to say it another way, right, the self help movement, self help isn't very helpful when self at the core is what needs help. That's Jesus, that's not me. Jesus came on the scene and said, Actually, I'm here because the core of yourself. Needs help. And so I'm going to lay my life down to help you discover your true self in me, and you're going to die to yourself. That's a long way from you do you. Crucifixion of self would be the opposite end. Draken? So it would be crucify self and find what you're really looking for in King Jesus. He's saying, hey, this is what Jesus steps on the scene and yeah, you want to go the self as the center route, I'm actually calling you to lay down yourself, live in my words, pay attention to my life, live in my words, and here's what you're going to find, it aligns with reality. This is the way things are supposed to be. You're going to find yourself building a life that has secure, solid foundation, has substance to it, because it's what Jesus, it's rock-like, it's what you can count on. And could one of the reasons be, church, could one of the reasons be the reason we scroll through the headlines week after week and you probably, like me, take some deep sighs and you just go, what in the world? That just doesn't make sense. I don't know how many times during the week I say, that just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because it doesn't line up with the way things really are. It doesn't pass the basic human anatomy. It doesn't pass biology 101. It's not how human relationships work. This is not how a society of human beings is to work together. It is an alignment with non-reality. And the Bible has a word when you build your life on non-reality. You know what that word is? Foolishness. Foolishness. to use Jesus language, it's like building your house on sand. That's what it is. Because what you're running into, young people, what you're running into in your classrooms, behind lecterns with people with several PhDs by their name, what you're running into is non-reality. Do you understand that? You're actually living rooted in the kingdom of God, squarely planted in reality if you're living with Jesus. You're the one in the place of reality, and you get to see with spiritual eyes into what Jesus would call sand, foolishness, non-reality, and it's why our culture is imploding the way it's imploding. And so the people of Jesus get to band together, and we get to consecrate ourselves to him, and guess what? We get to be led into the way things actually are. How beautiful is that? So I would invite you to say a wholehearted yes to Jesus to be ushered in to a life. Not because, young people, I don't want you to consecrate yourself to Jesus because that's what your parents raised you to do. I don't want you to do it just because that's what your pastor's asking you to do. I don't want you to do it because that's what Christianity says you, to, you should do. I want you to do it because Jesus is the wisest and the best, and he's grounded in reality. It is the absolute best decision you can make to consecrate yourself to Jesus. It's like building your life on rock. I want you to say yes to him. That's why he would say statements like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, because that's a man... Who sees things for the way they are? He's grounded in reality. He invites everyone else to join him in that. And to turn away from him, to reject him, and to push him out and push self at the center is the sand. It's what's gonna fall with a great crash. Which leads us into the second statement. When you consecrate yourself to Jesus, he's the one who leads you into this place of reality. Like he invites you to experience reality the way it is. And then, secondly, he teaches you how to live. In a broken world. So, Henry David Thoreau, many of you went through schooling, you would have read some of his stuff as a philosopher in the 1800s. He said this Unconscious despair is concealed even under what are called the games and amusements of mankind. It's as if he could have written it for 2023 today. See, the bottom line here is we all have to learn how to live from somebody. Jesus knew that, he came to earth. To die for our sins and to help us. you got to learn how to live from somebody. When you're younger, your parents, your family unit, your family of origin is the primary space where you're learning how to live. As you grow and get a little bit older, your peers, you get into adolescence and your peers become a really important part of learning how to live. And then you have some others like mentors and coaches and teachers and pastors and small group leaders you have these other people who step into your life and kind of teach you how to live if you're part of a church family there's kind of a collective spiritual family like the new family of jesus is a part of teaching you how to live and then there are all these cultural forces out there have you noticed there's a whole lot of people with a whole lot of opinions saying buy this do this pay attention to this build your life on this have you noticed that Through TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and all the media outlets, there's just everybody saying, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. Here's how you learn how to live. Jesus steps into that noise, and he offers these words. Matthew 11, verse 29, he says, take my yoke. This is available to anyone from any background at any time. Take my yoke upon you and underline your Bibles. Learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light so to consecrate yourself to Jesus is to enter Jesus school of living with open hearts and open hands and say Jesus would you teach me how to live and i believe there's no better teacher than Jesus Jesus teach me how to live because it's a heavy load to carry that's the imagery he uses there in Matthew 11 it's an oxen it's an it's like the it's like the oxen being yoked together and they can carry more if you yoke a couple of ox together than they can carry alone. That's the picture of the yoke there. And if you notice, it's like a heavy load to like figure out how to live, especially in this day and age with all the confusing messages coming. Like to learn, It's, it's a heavy load and, and we get pressed. Could it be that, you know, we're trying to carry this heavy, you can carry more yoke to Jesus than you could carry on your own. There's just some things that aren't meant to be carried alone. And I couldn't help but wonder if part of the mental and emotional health crisis in our country, could it be, church, could it be that we're living at a day when culturally we're pressing self to carry the load in ways that self and secularism was never intended to carry? It's a house of cards. It's sand. Secularism is just a a term that means when you push God at the center and put self, push God at the edges and put self at the center. When you try to elevate self, it's like... The culture says just yoke yourself to yourself and carry the load. And he's put so much pressure on self to like come up with things like identity and meaning and significance and freedom and deal with justice in the world. Like self, you know, like it's too heavy of a load. Self cripples underneath the weight of that. And I think that's some of what we're dealing with in the mental and emotional health crises. Not the only thing. I'm just saying it's at the core, though, that we're, we're trying to squeeze out of carrying a heavier load than self was ever intended to carry. And here's what I believe with every fiber of my being. I believe Christianity has the better resources for what we're all really looking for. Just follow with me for a moment. When Jesus says, hey, yoke yourself to me, I'll teach you how to live, this is the better way. He has the power and resources for really what you're looking for. All the conversation about identity going on in the world today. Everybody talking about identity, find yourself, prove yourself, define yourself, live out yourself. Jesus is the only one who says, you know what? You come to me and you receive an identity that isn't performance-based. And do you know how, how much relief that becomes? You know how exhausting it is to create and define your own identity and then to live up to those expectations? You just buckle under the weight of that. It usually lands in a place of anxiety and exhaustion. And Jesus says, why don't you come to me and take my yoke and you'll find out there's a better way to live. I'll help you carry the load. I'll I'll actually help you discover who you are and who I've created you to be. You receive it. You don't perform for it. That's different. Or how about you're you're looking for justice. Everybody's like pounding the drum. This is wrong. This is wrong. got to do right. You know, in Jesus, you're ushered into a way to deal with the injustices of the world that keeps you from becoming the oppressor. That's only in Jesus. Or how about freedom? Everybody's talking about freedom. I'm going to find the way. I'm going to find my way to the best life now. And Jesus says, well, actually what you're going to do, come and find the pathway to freedom through me. I'm going to lead you to a place that he calls human flourishing. You're going to flourish. You're going to become the person I've created and called you to be by living within God's boundaries and in God's order. It's ultimately what you're looking for. I think Christianity has all the better resources for what everybody is clamoring to try to find. It's actually found more complete and more sufficient in Jesus than anywhere else. Better than anything the culture has to offer. Better than anything any political party, any government program would have to offer. Any version of self would have to offer. Better than Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam. Jesus is the wisest and the best. He's the better way. Here's what Dallas Willard said it. I can't say it any more succinctly than this. I put this quote in your notes. Jesus' disciples are those who have chosen to be with him, to learn to be like him. All Hear this. All they have necessarily realized at the outset of their apprenticeship to him is, Jesus is right. He's the greatest and the best. Of this, they are sure. So listen. Everybody has to learn how to live from somebody. I choose Jesus how about you? I think he's the wisest and the best. I'm going to yoke myself to him. I don't think he's just right about some things. I think he's right about everything. And I think he's designed life to be lived where he helps carry the load. That's why he invites anyone from any background at any time, slide into the yoke of Jesus and find what you've really been looking for. You'll find your identity and meaning and significance and purpose and justice and freedom. You'll find it all in the yoke of Jesus. He has the power and resources to provide the life you've really been looking for. And there's no way self can deliver on that. So firstly, when you say a wholehearted yes to Jesus, you're invited to experience reality for what it is. You're invited, you're ushered in to reality the way things actually are, rock-like. And then secondly... You're invited into this life of like learning how to live from the best teacher. And then thirdly and finally, we'll wrap with this. Jesus invites you to experience the kingdom of God. Mark 1.15, Jesus says this, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. Now, repent is a Bible word which simply says, Hey, would you turn around and change your mind and reconsider how you've been living? Reconsider how you're thinking about things, reconsider the decisions you're making, reconsider the choices, reconsider the condition and direction of your life, think it through, reconsider it, and turn towards me. That's what the Bible word repent means. It's this turning. And he says the kingdom of God is present in this. So a lot of Bears fans in Eagle Church, because you all talk to me about your Bears stuff. And so I found a story this week. I came across a story that I did not know about Mike Didka and the Bears era from 82 to 92. So you guys all live back in the glory days of that, you know. The glory days of when the Bears were winning Super Bowls. They won Super Bowl in 85. And Mike Didka had a really famous player, William Refrigerator Perry, His name comes obviously from, right, (laughs) there's a reason they called him Fridge, right? He was a very large person. And those of you Bears fans were cheering a lot for him. Well, here's the story. Did you know that there was a chapel service when Didka was a head coach? And in the chapel service, which happens the night before the game, um, they ask Fridge to lead the Lord's Prayer at the beginning of chapel. A fairly common thing to do. Didka turned to the Bears chaplain and said, hey, I'll give you 20 bucks. i am bet you 20 bucks here. We're going to have a $20 bet that Fridge doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. He says this to the chaplain. Now, the chaplain felt a little uncomfortable about taking a bet at the beginning of chapel. Like was a little conflicted, you know? But it's the coach. What are you going to do? It's like, okay, coach, I'll take you on the bet. And so Fridge stands up, and he starts with, this is his prayer. He starts, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Didka shook his head, reached into his pocket, got a $20 bill, said to the chaplain, I just thought for sure he didn't know the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) True story. You can't make that up. The Lord's Prayer, actually in Matthew 6, where Jesus said, right, he says, hey, you're going to come, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the next line? Thy kingdom come thy will be done, what's the next line, on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see this? Translation is, hey, Jesus is calling out to God the Father. Father, would you make up there come down here? That's, what, that's kingdom language. Would you make the way things run in the kingdom of heaven? Would you bring that to the kingdoms of the earth? You see that? That's what he's praying. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know what we experience a little bit of when we come to church on Sunday mornings and we have a day like this and we're going to celebrate afterwards? Do you know what we get a little taste of? Something inside of us says, this is just how it's supposed to be. Like there's just something so right and good. The songs that we sing, the lives we witness in the waters, the community we share, the support we have, the recognize you're not alone, the sense of love and peace and the presence of God. Do you know what happens right there? You get a little bit of up there down here. That's what you get. Do you see that? That's what happens when Jesus' church gets together. Up there, comes down here. I like what John Ortberg said. I put this quote in your notes because I thought he said it very well. He says, all our kingdoms intersect with others' kingdoms. We get married. We have families. We live in neighborhoods. We go to schools. We have corporations. We have nations. All those kingdoms merge and connect and interweave and mesh with each other. And we might call the whole conglomeration of all those systems the kingdom of the earth how are things going in the kingdom of the earth? Hmm, not so well. Then Jesus comes and says, there's another kingdom. Hear this, it's real. More real by far than you can understand. The reality of this kingdom is what wise people stake their existence on. Jesus called it the kingdom of God. So church, this is why when you read the gospels, you see sentences like this. Jesus says this often. You have heard that it was said he says, but I tell you. Do you see what he's doing? He's saying, hey, here's the commentary you've had about the kingdom of God, the views, the opinions. There's no lack of views about the kingdom of God. Jesus comes on the scene and says, but I tell you. And his words are grounded in reality. Do you see that? But I tell you. So worship team, come on back up. We're going to close with this because the kingdom of God has come near, Right? It's closer than you could have ever imagined. And he says, I want you to think about things. I want you to reconsider things. I want you to change your mind on whatever view you had about the kingdom of God and believe wholeheartedly the good news. Because when you consecrate yourselves to Jesus and you actually pay attention, if you've never done it, I want to invite you to do that the coming weeks. Just read the Gospels, pay attention to the words in red, and then just start living it out. Like putting it into practice. Put Jesus to the test. Here's what you're going to find. You're going to run into reality. You're going to run into the way things actually are. You're going to say, that's how it's supposed to be. Put, it, put him to the test. Consecrate yourself, live out his words, and you're going to find yourself working then with another kingdom, the power and resources of heaven. You're going to find yourself working and living for something that has no beginning and end. Like, do you know the kingdoms of the earth all have an end date? But the kingdom of our great God and Father, it has no end. It's reign and rule forever and ever. And Jesus says he comes to earth and he ushers people in to live under the reign and rule of God. He says you can do that. It doesn't matter what background you've had. It doesn't matter how long you've been away from church or what kind of upbringing you've had or had not had. Jesus says you just come and you just reconsider how you're living and you start living my words. You start taking up my yoke. You start stepping into my kingdom. And here's what I think you're going to find. Is Jesus a big deal around here? He's the only deal. That's what you're going to find. He's the wisest and the best. You're going to find it. You're going to find he puts you in touch with reality. He puts you in touch with the way things actually are. So just go live the way of Jesus. Slide yourself into his yoke. Let him teach you how to live. So many facing so many big decisions, say, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know with this yes or this no. Turn to Jesus. He's so good at guiding lives. He's way better at it than we are. Just turn to him and trust him. Slide into his yoke. Let him guide you. Let him help you carry the load. And then open up your eyes, church, and begin to see a kingdom. How glorious. The kingdom of God that he says is here and at hand. And right now in these moments, you can step into that kingdom. Wow. I don't want to live anywhere else. He's the wisest and the best and his invitation is open to any person, any background, any time, anywhere. Let's pray. Jesus, there's none like you. From the very beginning of this church, I remember the very opening meeting. Some in this room were in that opening meeting. You have been the only defining reality of this body of people. And thank you that today in 2023, we declare you are the wisest, you are the best, you are a King, you are the glorious one, you are a Savior. If there's some listening here and you've never said yes to Jesus, you can just say it right now. You can just say yes to him. In the quietness of your own heart, you can say, Jesus, I just choose you right now. I believe you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose from the dead. I've been living a whole bunch of different ways. I've been going about it all the wrong ways. I just own it now. I confess I've been going about it all wrong. I repent. I turn from the way I've been going and I turn to you. You just say that right now in your heart. I choose Jesus. Say, Jesus, come, fill me with your spirit and teach me how to live. You can do that right now. And we just rejoice together. Thank you for your invitation, Jesus. Thank you that today reminds us you never give up on us. We worship you in Christ's name, amen.